Pastor Jordan preaching the word there. Praise the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we love you and we're so thankful that we can be in your house this morning. And God, thank you for bending your ear down and listening to our praises. And God, we come now as the church called out of darkness into marvelous light, knowing that we can approach you because of what Jesus has done. We would ask that you would help us this morning to lean into your word by the power of the Holy Spirit. We know by the declaration of your word that your word never returns to you void. So, that, so we pray that you would prepare our hearts. God, help us to know and understand you even more. And I, I pray, God, this morning that you would help those who do not know you come to know you in spirit and in truth. And we ask this in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, it's so good to be here with you this morning. Pastor Rick preached a phenomenal sermon last week about the incarnation of Christ, and he has asked me to come in with part two, and this morning we're going to be opening God's word in the book of Luke, we're going back to Genesis, we're going through the whole thing. It's one of those mornings where we're going to be in the word of God, looking at God's promises and looking how they apply to our life. It's going to be a fun morning, but we're going to be looking this morning at the, the promise of the forgiveness of sins. Are you ready? Okay, we have one person ready. I think it was Pastor Kelvin. Kelvin. Pastor Kelvin is ready. Well, church, the Bible declares, it shares that we are born into darkness. This morning, Phil and Sarah had a baby boy, and that baby boy is probably amazing, but he was born into darkness. And we are people without hope, and the Bible declares that we were bent towards sin, and the reality for us is that we are in serious spiritual trouble without a change of direction. The human condition which incorporates the essentials of human existence, including birth and growth and dreams and aspirations and pain. We go through pain. We have sickness and death. All of this is bent towards a, a self-gratification, self-advancement, and a self-willed tendency. In other words, we want it our way, and we like it our way, and we will do whatever we can to get it our way, we want to be in control. We want to control how we live and how we believe and even want to control how we die. We want power and we want profit and we want, we want what we want. And this is a direct result of the fall of humanity. And we're going to talk about this this morning. Because Satan, our greatest adversary, has studied the human condition since the very beginning. He's been watching humans. He's been watching us. He's been studying our patterns, and we are creatures of pattern. And what he has observed within the human condition is that we as humans can be conditioned, we can be molded, we can be changed by presenting half-truth followed by unfulfillable promises that feed the growing bent that's inside of us towards self-gratification and self-advancement. He has one battle strategy. Just, that's it. He has one. And he preys upon the fact that humans like to be comfortable and we like to seem like we are in charge. Satan executed this plan on our first parents and the whole race fell. He tried to use the same battle plan on Jesus and he lost. But since that very beginning, he's been using his one battle plan to trick humanity with half-truth and promises that he can't fulfill. And not only that, fallen humans within society, in history, all the way up to today, have caught on that humans can be conditioned a certain way. So not only Satan prowls around looking for 
people to devour, but people have caught on to his tendencies and they use half-truth and unfulfillable promises to pull us in because we want to be conditioned or because we are conditioned to be comfortable and we want to feel like we're in control. And we see this all around us in our society. The whole world, church, needs to be rescued. We personally need to be rescued. We need to be rescued from Satan. We need to be rescued from those who do his bidding. We need to wake up and notice that the things that people promise us, they probably don't even have the full capacity or power to deliver on those things. And most of all, two things, we need to be saved from ourselves. But here's the truth of the message this morning, the truth of Christmas. We need to be saved from the wrath of God for our sins committed against him. And Christmas is that rescue story. And we know from 1 John 1.14 that the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Pastor Rick was teaching us that last week. He talked about the incarnation of Christ. And we know from Philippians 2.7, Paul was talking, talking to the Philippian church, talking about the nature of Christ, what he did. He being made in human likeness. He came, he was wrapped in flesh, and this is not just a transient assumption of the appearance of humanity. God just didn't show up one day and just like, okay, I'll just put on flesh and it'll be okay. There was something that really took place. There was this transaction of the divine, fully God and fully man coming together in this holy thing in which he was born. Here was the beginning of a new humanity, a new Adam, a new hope for this world, and to be reproduced in all that believe till the earth is filled with the sons of God. We know this from Romans 8.14. My whole sermon can be wrapped up in this little paragraph, this run-on sentence, and then I'm going to flesh it out. God has created a way for humans, you and me, who have a bent towards sin, to be in right relationship and also to be protected from the glory and wrath by providing a substitute, his son Jesus, to be born of a virgin, raised in a broken world, tempted just like you and me, by Satan and those under the power of the spirit of the air, all the while not sinning and setting a proper foundation for holy living for all of those who have been elected to believe. Now that's a lot, that's a mouthful, and I'm going to unpack that. This is good news though, but how did this happen? Well, Pastor Rick last week taught us about the incarnation. Two of his points, he had more than two, but two of the points that, were, were, that stuck out to me was the promise of God with us. That's the first one. And the second one was the promise of us with God. And this morning, I want to take a look at the beautiful gift that was encapsulated within Christ himself when he came, Emmanuel, God with us, and what he brought to this earth for his people. And when Christ came, as the hope for all humanity, he came loaded with the full means to accomplish the mission which God had set out for the world. Within the promises of the incarnation, we find the promise of the forgiveness of sins. And this is something that we should be excited about. This is something that we should be reminded of. This is something that we should be talking about. We should be celebrating. We should be looking for opportunities to share this exciting news about the forgiveness of sins with all who cross our path because within this promise, 
For those who are to believe onto it, there is new life and new hope and a new will and a new mind and a new heart and a new purpose for the individual. Sin can be broken, you can be healed, and God can give you a, the power to live a holy life. I have three points this morning. God will make a way for, for forgiveness. God leads the way for forgiveness. And God supports the way for forgiveness. Let's look together at God's word. We're going to be in Luke chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 67. And we're looking at Zachariah's song. This is a father's song. This is a moment where God where this father is, is praising the Lord, he's using great words. Every word in this song matters. It's a reflection of history. It's a fulfillment of promise, and I want you to see it. Luke 167, his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he prophesied. He said, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and has redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. All these words matter. As he said through the holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all of those who hate us to show, us, to show mercy to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. The oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness, check this, in holiness and righteousness before the throne, before God, all our days. This is where it gets personal. We're going to highlight this, 76 and 77. This is Zachariah, the, Zachariah saying, And you, my child, talking about John, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, Here's the mission, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come, from, come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. This is the word of the Lord. May I add a blessing to it this morning. Two things that we're going to highlight, 76, 77, from the Song of Zechariah. We see John playing a vital role. The first thing that he does, John will go on to prepare the people. He will prepare the people with, a, with the message of salvation, that the people need to know that they are living in darkness and that they are in great danger from the wrath of God if they don't turn from their sins and place their trust in Jesus. Verse 77, this is the mission, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of sins. He has one goal, go prepare the people. Because Jesus is coming, and he will be the only salvation humanity desperately needs. We're in trouble. John is called upon to prep the people with the knowledge of salvation. But a question for us this morning as we open up God's word, as we ponder together, as we wrestle this stuff together as God's church is, what is the promise? And that leads me to my first point. God makes the way for forgiveness to happen. God makes the way for forgiveness. You see, God has designed the pathway for the forgiveness of sins. And this takes place in Genesis. Let's go there together as the church. Let's go to the very book, very first book, Genesis, the book of beginnings. We're going to look at Genesis 3. 
And last week, Pastor Rick preached on Genesis 3, and he preached about this amazing moment that took place in the garden. He talked about God being with us, being with his creation, and Rick was saying, Pastor Rick was saying about this moment where God would be in the garden, he would be with his people, and, and last week on the stage, Pastor Rick was talking about God, would, God might have scooped up one of his, his created creatures. He talked about holding it close to his chest, God loving what he has created. We know from the creation story that God blessed his creation. He said it was good, and then at the end of the week, he said it was very good. And Pastor Rick was teaching us about this moment of this tenderness, of the, the promise of God with us and us with God and God with his created, created beings. And Pastor Rick said about God scooping up this creature and holding it close to his chest, and then maybe just putting it down. And he's, he stands up, and then God takes a step, and he notices something. Something's different in the garden this day. He looks around, and he doesn't see the crown of his creation, Adam and Eve. They're not there. He's looking around. He takes a step. And then God calls out, and we see this in verse 9 and 10. God calls out, he looks, something's different, and he says, Adam, where are you? Adam, where are you? We have the testimony already to the effects of sin. Just a little bit of sin happening, even really quickly, if we allow sin to just fester in our life, it starts to manifest itself in certain ways, and already they made a mistake they disobey God, they've sinned, and what are they doing? They're hiding. The effects of sin on humanity in relation to God is always fear of exposure. I don't want to be seen exposed or naked, so I hide, I justify, and I try to make my own way. But God will not have it. Adam, where are you? And what does Adam say? I was afraid. I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid, and I was naked, and I hid. I don't want to be exposed. And what does God do? He gives the opportunity for admittance and confession. Who told you you were naked? Who are you listening to, Adam? Who told you that you were naked? Come, talk to me. Verse 12 and 13, we have a confession he tells what has happened, but we also can see the manifestation even more of sin because we have blame shifting happen. The first thing when he admits what's going on with his confession, he says, God, the woman that you put here with me, she did it. Basically like, it's your fault, God. She gave me the apple, I ate. God looks at Eve, what did you do? The serpent deceived me. And then God deals with, deals with the consequences in verse 14, there are consequences for the sins that are dealt towards Adam and Eve. What that is teaching us is that God will always deal with our sin. And there are always consequences for our sin, and he will not just let it go. Even though sometimes we may feel like, God, it's not that big of a deal, just let it go. He will never let it go, and he doesn't have to because he's God. And we're going to see... As this unfolds, he deals with the consequences of sin, but also something else begins to take place, something that doesn't include Adam and Eve, but it's a God issue. 
God now has to deal with the brokenness of what has happened, with the broken relationship. So now we are going to see in verse 21 that God makes the way for the forgiveness of sins. God has half, God is angry. He has wrath built up. He's dealing with their disobedience, but now he needs a solution to deal with the disobedience, and God makes a way for the forgiveness of sins. And this is what most likely had happened, is when Pastor Rick taught us about that God was in the garden and he was with his created being, something that he loved and he was holding it close, and he sat it down. He takes the step to deal with Adam and Eve. Then he turns his face away from them, turns back to his created, and pours his wrath out on something that didn't deserve it. Something else had to take the place of the wrath and the justification, not Adam and Eve, something else who was innocent, took that wrath, and what do we see in verse 21? It says that the Lord had made garments of skin for Adam and Eve and his wife, and then here it is, he clothed them. Even though God dealt with the disobedience of the creation, something more was still needed And the Lord made garments of skin for Adam and Eve, and he clothed them. God took the skin for something that he loved, and he used to cover it. He used to cover those who were in the wrong. Such grace and such mercy poured out before Adam and Eve, poured out on Adam and Eve. But the wrath and the judgment of of God was poured out on something else. This one passage shows us that it was God who made the way for the forgiveness of sins through the spilling of the blood and the covering of another in the beautiful garden that God declared was good. He declared it very good. God makes a way for his creation. And all of humanity is now in trouble because of Adam and Eve. All of humanity has a sin issue. Like I said, we're born into it. In Romans 5.12, it says this, church. It says, just as sin came into the world through one man, Adam, and death through sin, so the consequences or the wages of sin is death, and so death spread to all men because all have sinned. All of us are due an appointment with God, and he is very angry because of the wrath that he has towards sin. In the garden, though, God made the way for the forgiveness of sin through penal substitution. Wrath, judgment poured out, but not on those who deserved it. It was poured out on something else. So God could establish a new way. Something else that day took the wrath of God. Something else that day took the judgment of God. And in the end, it was God who called his creation forward. Adam and Eve, where are you? Come forward. And it was God, by his grace and by his mercy, he placed the covering over them. They didn't deserve it, but in his mercy, he did this. God was the one who made the way for the forgiveness of sins. And Zechariah, Father Zechariah, talking about his son, John, he's so excited because he knows and understands that God has made a way. God has made a way for people, and his son is going to grow up, and his son is going to get to go and tell the people that there is a way. There is a way that God has made 
for the forgiveness of sins. Salvation is coming. And John was going to go ahead and preach and teach to all the people that, that salvation is needed. John's baptism was a baptism of repentance to turn from there is a new way, there is a hope. God has established it, and he did it in the garden in Genesis 3.21. God has made a way for the forgiveness of sins. That's the first thing I wanted to express to you and show you. The second thing I would like to teach and look at is that God leads the way for forgiveness, Not only has he made a way, but he is leading a way for forgiveness. God establishes a new pathway for the forgiveness of sins. So there is now hope. There is now a solution. There is now a system. But who is it for? God has made a way through penal substitution. My next question is, who does does this promise apply to? And once again, we see that God takes the lead and he initiates the pathway for the forgiveness of sins through penal substitution to a people called his very own. And my question is, who are those people? Who are those people that God can apply this new system that he has designed in the garden? Who are they? And to answer that question of who God declares his people are, we need to look at the first promise made to a man from God the man Abram. So we're going to go to Genesis 12. We're still in the same book. Let's, let's go up a little bit. We're going to look at Genesis 12. We're going to look at Genesis 12 one. So turn with me there. Let's look at it together. And I know you know your Bibles, but I just want to remind you of this. And according to Joshua, uh, in Joshua 24.2, that Abram was not a follower of Yahweh. He was actually, a, he, would fo- he was following other gods. So what does that mean to us? That Abraham is not this perfect person, He's not the perfect candidate. He's not royalty. He didn't come from a perfect family. He didn't have a perfect record that proved that he was better than other people. It was God who looked down and chose. He elected this one man. And he shows up and he tells him to leave his homeland. We're going to look at that in your. And Abraham obeys. He picks up his family and he just follows God. Let's look at it together in 12. Genesis 12. The Lord said to Abraham, leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land that I will show you. He doesn't even tell him what the land is. He's just saying, things are changing. Get up. And then he follows that up, and he says that, I will make you, Abram, into a great nation, and I will bless you. This is the beginning of the new people. He says, I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse whoever curses you. And all the people on the earth... All the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. I will make you into a great nation, 12-2, 12-3, and all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. God is beginning to formulate a people group that he could apply the way of salvation to. Let's look at chapter 15. Turn the page. Chapter 15, verse 4, an amazing moment. This time... Abram has gone into Egypt, he's accumulated money, land, servants, he's got a lot of stuff. And then he has this another meeting with God, God shows up and he says this to him. He says, this is the word, then the, Lord of the, wor- the word of the Lord came to him. He says, this man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. 
And he took him outside, and I love this moment. It shows the kind of the humorous side of God. And he, he tells Abraham, Abram to look up into the sky. It's at night. Look up to the sky. And he challenges him. He says, see the stars in the sky? And then he has this kind of little kind of joke, like number them. Look how many they are, if you can count them. But he says, look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall be your offspring. Abraham believed the Lord and it was accredited to him as righteous. So Abraham is going to have a son and through him there is going to be a new line where people are going to come from and they're going to be numerous and God's going to bless them. Let's go over one more page to chapter 17. I want you to look at chapter 17, verse 5. There's this amazing moment with Abraham and in verse 4 it says, as for me, this is my covenant So now we're getting the Abrahamic covenant with you. He says, you will be the father of many nations. So God looks at this man. He elects them. He says, you're going to be blessed. Abraham listens to him. Abram listens, follows, does what he says. And now he's saying a covenant is being placed. And you will be the father of many nations. So no longer will you be called Abram, but your new name will be Abraham For I made you a father of many nations. And check this church. It says in verse 6, I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you. And kings will come from you, including King David and King Jesus. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you. So there's this personal covenant between God and Abraham. But it extends more than that. And your descendants after you for the generations to come. That's us including us. God first came to the Jews and then to the Gentiles, through the, earth, through, the new, through the church. And it says in verse 7, he says, I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants and to the generations that come after you. And then here it is. To be what? Your God. And the God of your descendants after you. God is setting up a people. And it says the whole land of Canaan where you are now aliens or foreign in, I will give you as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I, here it is, here's the declaration, I will be their God. God has made a way for salvation, and now God has made a, he's establishing a way for it to be applied, and it will only be applied to the people of God. In all of this, God establishes a people he will call his own. God calls his people his own. In all these statements, as we read through Genesis, we see God going first. These I will. God is leading the way. God is establishing the covenant with Abraham. God will bless the nations through his line. God is saying that all generations through the line will be blessed, including kings will come, King David, King Jesus. And in, Zechariah, and, and in Luke, we have Zechariah prophesying about his son, and he's excited Because the promise is coming true. Has someone ever made you a promise and then fulfilled the promise? And you know just like hours or days or weeks before that it's coming and you get so excited for that promise? This is the prophet at this moment. God has made a way. God has established a way. This is something for us to get excited. And my family gets to be a part of it. My son will get to do some stuff in this. What we're saying is that God has made a way for sins to be forgiven. God has made a way for sins to be applied to his people, established through the Abrahamic covenant. 
And God has designed a way for the, for the forgiveness of sins. Why? Because sin is serious. Sin has consequences. Sin needs to be dealt with. And God in Genesis 3 shows that sin is so grievous that it needs to be dealt with at a great length and at a great cost, the shedding of blood and then the covering. And then God establishes the pathway for his people. Are you his people? Are you a part of God's family? His son Jesus will be the promise of salvation, God with us, incarnation, God with us, and then one day us with God. And he will save his people from the coming wrath and judgment of God. And on the cross of Calvary, that's what took place. It was almost a, a, refl- it's a reflection of the Genesis 3 moment when God turned his face away from Adam and Eve and he picked up and there was a sacrifice. He poured his wrath and his judgment on something else. The cross was a picture of that where Jesus hung for the sins of his people. We sing about it. And the Father turned his face away. And Jesus cries out to heaven, Father, why have you forsaken me? And the wrath and the judgment and the sins of the elect were gathered up and they were poured on Jesus. And he took the punishment. He didn't deserve it, but he took it in our place because God made a way For sin to be dealt with through penal substitution on the cross, Christ took it all. And then before breathing his spirit up to heaven, he says, he looks up, and what does he declare? It is finished. Church, what is finished? The promise of forgiveness of sins. The promise is coming true. God has kept his word. God's plan, Jesus takes our place on the cross. So God designed the pathway for for the forgiveness of sins. And number three, my third point is this. God supports, he supports the way of forgiveness. God upholds the pathway for the forgiveness of sins. It is one way, one way Jesus. There is only one way and it's only one way God will recognize salvation applied. And that is through Jesus. The incarnation of Christ, God with us, is about Jesus Christ coming to save his covenant people by being the perfect atoning sacrifice to appease the coming wrath and judgment of God. We saw that on the cross. Jesus lived a perfect life and was our substitute for the sins that, he, that we have committed. And we know this because in 2 Corinthians 5.13, we have something called the great exchange. And it says this, church, it says, he made him, who's him? Jesus. He made him who knew no sin. He, was, he, he had no guilt. He was guiltless. He, he had no shame. He was in perfect standing with God. He made him to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And we know in 1 John 3, 5, you know that he appeared, who appeared? Christ appeared in the incarnation in order to take away the sins. But in him there is no sin. God has approved one way for forgiveness. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. God will only accept, and he will only uphold this one pathway for the forgiveness of sins. And Jesus himself declared it. He said it. 
In John 14, 6, he says, there is only one way for you to be right with God. And he says, I am the way. He says, I am the truth. And he says, I am the life. And then he declares it. He's reflecting what his father believes, the full truth, not a half truth, with a full promise. He says, no one will come to the father except through me. And church, look what God has done. And I find it very surprising and amusing, and I laugh to myself when we actually believe that we have a part to play in salvation. We play no part, and the only part we do play is we bring our sin to Christ at the cross. That's it. So the reflection of God's people is we come hat in hand, and we come on our knees, and we beg for forgiveness for the wrath that is due us for the sins that we committed, that God would show mercy and cover us with the mercy and righteousness of Christ. He designed a pathway. He establishes a pathway. He upholds this pathway for the forgiveness of sins, and it's one way Jesus. So that just leads me to my conclusion question. What concern in your life does this actually address? Why is this even important? Well, we all like to be forgiven when we've done something wrong. And when we've committed an act against someone we love, against something we, some, somebody that we care for, and we come to them, we want forgiveness. We want that to happen. But church, please know this. What we need more than anything else in this world when Je- is to know this. When Jesus first came on that first Christmas, in him was, was the greatest gift of, that humanity would ever receive. Within Jesus himself, as the ultimate sacrifice, your sins could be forgiven. That is amazing news for us. And Zechariah, he knew this. He knew hope was coming. How's your life right now? I just want to tell you, hope is coming. Hope is available. Hope is here. And his name is Jesus. And Zechariah knew that John would lead the people in this testimony to help them understand that they need to have forgiveness. They do not want to be exposed without forgiveness, without the righteousness of Christ, because what is coming for those who are outside of Christ is really scary. There is a plan designed by God, only applied to the people of God, and only recognized one way through Jesus the Christ. So I ask you today here, have you committed your life to Christ? Have you received Jesus? And let me talk about what that means. Have you personally committed your life to him as Lord and Savior, not only receiving the gift promised, the full truth and the full promise, which is the forgiveness of sins, but have you been given the Holy Spirit Because within salvation, some things happen. You're given the Holy Spirit. Not only that, you're adopted into the family of God. That's why we talk about brothers and sisters. We use that terminology because we're in this together, saved out of darkness, into marvelous light. You're brought in and you're part of the church. You're a brother or a sister within the church and the Holy Spirit dwells within you and he has gifted you with a gift that can only be used and executed in the church body. So if you're in Christ, you have a gift, you have the Holy Spirit, 
you're considered a part of the family of God, but not only that, here it is, here's where I wanted to declare something amazing happens. It's called the gift of reconciliation, or not reconciliation, but regeneration. The power of regeneration in your life allows you to say yes to God and no to the habitual sin patterns that we get caught up in. And a lot of us, we come to church and we think, that sounds great, but you don't know my life. I don't know your life. I don't know your specific sin, but I do know our God. And if you are honest with him and you present to him what is going on in your life and you make a conscious effort to go towards God, turning away from the things that are holding you back, that are, are capturing you, that are slowing you down, the sin, God will help you. He will save the word of God in Romans 10.10 says this, for it is with your heart that you believe and are justified and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and you are saved. For if you've heard this message today of Jesus and his gift of salvation and you believe in your heart that it is true and then you confess with your mouth that you are in need of a Lord and Savior, church, God will save you. He made a way, he established a pathway, it is through Jesus, and it is a free gift for you today. So that is something that I want you to consider in this next moment. Had a meeting with Pastor Jordan this week, we get together, we're thinking about the sermon, we're thinking about our people, we're praying, we're asking God, and I said, Jordan, do you have something that we can meditate in? Can you bring something, Pastor Jordan? Can you bring something to the congregation to lead, us, to lead us before the throne so that we can ponder the message of salvation for those who may have not committed their life to God? Jordan, Pastor Jordan goes away in his office and he comes back. He says, I got something for us. Let's pray about it. Let's think about it. We're going to present it. So this is what we're going to do right now. I'm going to pray and I'm going to ask Pastor Jordan to come lead the church in a declaration. I want you to think. I want you to look at the words. I want you to consider the message that was presented today. I want you to ask this question. Are you fully committed to the Lord Jesus Christ in your life? Here's what's going to happen. We as the church who know Jesus, we're going to pray. We're going to pray and we're going to ask God to bless this moment. We're going to ask God to open up hearts. We're going to ask God to come to bring people uh, to the knowledge of salvation that Zachariah was testifying about. The first service, we had people put their hands up after the prayer. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. You won't have to lead your seat, but I will pray a prayer with you if you are considering giving your life to Christ. If the Lord is calling you today, do not miss this moment of salvation. Maybe you're here today on December 26th because you have an appointment with God and he is going to save your life. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we just commit this moment to you. We thank you that you have made a way, you have established a people, and you support only one way through Jesus who went to the cross and died on our behalf. God, I just give this moment to you as Pastor Jordan in the band comes and leads us through this, this reflection moment, and I pray that you would call forth out of darkness into marvelous light those who which in which you want to save today. And I pray for the church, those of us who are here, who are struggling with sin issues in our life, that we would lay those things down and we would pick up the grace that you provide to us even now. If we, are, if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just, you will forgive us. We can walk out of here changed on this Christmas Sunday. Lord, thank you for your mercy and grace and we present this time to you in Jesus' name.
Amen. Well, church, if you've heard this message today of Jesus and the gift of salvation, and you believe it is true in your heart and you confess with your mouth by faith that you are in need of a Savior and Lord, you will be saved. This is not half-truth without a, a potential promise. It's the full truth, and God has saved, and he does save. He saved this morning. He continues to save. You will be saved. For those of you who would like to commit your life to Jesus, you can do that right where you're at. You don't have to come forward. You can just pray with me as I close our, our time in prayer. You can just repeat the prayer and make a declaration in your life to commit your life to Jesus. You can just pray that with me now. Well, Jesus, I believe that you lived a perfect life and died a sinner's death on behalf of your people. I believe that you are the only way to eternal life. And I commit my life to you. And I ask that you would forgive me of my sins. I would ask that you would give me the Holy Spirit and that you would teach me of your ways so that I can walk in righteousness. I commit my life to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. If you've prayed that prayer this morning, you have taken a step, and God has honored that. And I can't see because of the lights, but if you've prayed that prayer, would you slip your hand up so that we can just celebrate with you? Is, is there anyone that, yeah, okay, I see you. Yeah, okay, church, let's, let's celebrate. <laughs> Praise God. Praise God. The Lord has done a good thing. And he continues to do great things in our church. And, and I can't see everyone, but I, I'm going to ask you to do something. If you prayed that prayer, why don't you send a message to our church, to one of our pastors? All of our information is on the website. You can go under staff. Just pick any pastor. We all do the same thing. We're all one team. And let us know that you have made that declaration so that we can walk with you. And you were born again today. And like we heard... Phil and Sarah had a baby. They have to take care of that baby, and God does that for the church. We take care of each other. We help each other because it's, it's still hard, and we know in this world we'll have trouble, but take heart. Christ has overcome the world, and he has given the church, and he's given us the blessing to help each other. So please make, a, make an outreach to us so that we can walk with you. And if you have prayed that prayer online at home where you're at, please send us a, a message at at guests at calvary.on.ca so that we can follow up with you and, and do life with you. Praise God for the things he has done here today. Amen? But what about us who do believe, that continue to believe onto the Lord, who continue to hope? Is there something for us today? Yes, yes, there's something for us. We're like Zechariah. We, we can get excited for this message because this message is now for the whole world. And God joins us in that message. He allows us to play a part in it, in the great commission of going, making disciples. We should be excited about telling people that God has made a way, he's established a way, and the only way is through Jesus. And look what Jesus has done. That's something for us to do. We get to take something home with us this Christmas day. So I would say be excited about the opportunity of what God is going to put in your path this week and this next year coming up. And may we be faithful to do those things unto the Lord, just like Abraham was faithful when God came to him and said, get up and go. 
May we get up and listen and look and present the truth that we know that is really true. Bless you, and I pray that you have some great conversations today with your family. May the Lord bless you. Amen. Have a good day.